Hi everyone, welcome to the Blue Ridge Church of Christ podcast. My name is Phil Bruns. Thank you so much for taking time from your day to be with us. Did you know that there are a host of mental and physical benefits associated with being grateful? So we should talk about that. We should talk about being grateful in our lives as we continue our study on the names of God in our I Am series. There are some times during the year that we focus more on being grateful, especially around the Thanksgiving holiday. And maybe for you, a uh, Christmas time might be a time where you just find yourself being more grateful uh, or more so centered on that than other times. But we all know, I think, that you know the spirit of graciousness should fill every day uh, during the year, not just specific holidays. That being grateful, being gracious, having that spirit about us uh, should be a strong part of our character and who we are. But why is being grateful so important? Why is it important to discuss? It seems like a very simple thing. If somebody gives me something, I should be grateful for it. But, you know, it goes a lot deeper than that. And there's all kinds of uh, research uh, on this. According to the Mayo Clinic, expressing gratitude is associated with a host of mental and physical benefits. Studies have shown that uh, being grateful, expressing gratitude... Uh, it, it can help you uh, improve your sleep. It can help you improve your, your mood just during the day. And even physically, uh, expressing gratefulness and having, again, that spirit about you can improve your immunity against disease. Gratitude can also decrease depression. It can decrease anxiety and difficulties with chronic pain and risk of disease. To put some numbers on being grateful, we looked at a study uh, from the Pro Penn State Pro Wellness uh, Group. And the study mostly relates to work, but I think also is very applicable to our church body, to your family, and it applies to many contexts. But to put, again, some numbers uh, to what being grateful means to us as people, 70% of employees would feel better about themselves if their boss was more grateful, and 81% would work harder. Now you might be driving, listening in your car, and you're thinking, yeah, I would work harder if my boss is, uh, was more grateful for me. <laughs> employees, number two, employees who experience more gratitude uh, at work report fewer depressive symptoms and stress. Number three, 95% of employees agree that a grateful boss is more likely to be successful. Maybe you can identify with this. Number four, regular gratitude journaling has been shown to result in a 5 to 15% increase in optimism and 25% increase in sleep quality. Number five, lack of gratitude is a major factor in driving job dissatisfaction, turnover, absenteeism, and burnout. Number six, 53% of employees would stay at their company longer if they felt more appreciation from their boss. Number seven, gratitude reduces uh, toxic aggression, frustration, and regret even after receiving negative feedback. Number eight, in a study of 800 descriptive trait words, grateful 
was rated in the top 4% in terms of likability. Number nine, 90% of American teens and adults indicate that expressing gratitude made them extremely happy or somewhat happy. And finally, number 10, a five-minute daily gratitude journal can increase long-term well-being by 10%. Now, honestly, I'm not sure how some of these things are measured. But what I do know is that, in general, that if we are more grateful ourselves, we will be happier. There will be benefits from that. If our bosses are grateful, if people around us are grateful in the way we serve them or the way that we treat them, that helps us feel better about ourselves and better about uh, where I work or where I worship or where I go to uh, school, wherever that might be. That gratitude is a huge, important piece of communication from human being to human being. So it seems logical to me that God desires us to be strong in gratefulness. That part of having good character is living a life of gratitude, which is how God has designed us to live. Thus, all the incredible health benefits, both physical and mental. And I'm sure there are spiritual benefits as well. But before I get uh, too much farther, this builds off a bit of what I discussed in the last podcast uh, called Home is Where the Heart Is. And in that podcast, I read uh, Psalm chapter uh, 60 and verse 4 and 5, where it says, You have given your loyal followers a rallying flag so that they might seek safety from the bow. Deliver by your power and answer me so that the ones you love may be safe. You see, that's a spiritual home. Home being where the heart is, living in fear and reverence of our God. You see, when we live in in, in fear and have that moral reverence of God, it is a place of so much goodness and a place of spiritual protection. The thought of having a healthy fear and moral reverence of God, offering a life of gratitude, smacks us right in our prideful souls because in all of that view, it becomes more about God and not about ourselves. And you see, that is the key to living as God has designed us. Today, we're going to talk about Yahweh Yira. Yet another name of God, Yahweh Yira. You might also have heard of it or seen it uh, uh, somewhere written as Jehovah Jireh. Which also, are it's the same thing. Yahweh Yira also translated as Jehovah Jireh. I'll explain more about those in a minute. But my first thought today is is gratefulness is that it only comes the hard way. It only comes the hard way. You've heard the saying, well, we can do this the easy way or we can do it the hard way. I find that gratefulness comes much more thoroughly when it comes the hard way. Let's turn over to uh, Genesis chapter 22, and we're going to start reading about a man named Abraham. And it starts out in verse 1. It says, sometime after these things, God tested Abraham. I'll stop right there. Sometime after these things. 
So this is chapter 22, and we first are introduced to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. So we've had uh, 10 chapters uh, filled with stories of Abraham. And we now know that uh, he is a man uh, known for his faith, that he is also known as as a father of faith. After we first meet him in, in, in Genesis chapter 12, you know, God calls him to pick up his whole household and move. And move to a place where God will let him know later when he's there. So Abraham leaves his father, his homeland. He doesn't know where he's going. You know, have you ever moved before? Have you ever moved homes, moved apartments, moved from one city to another city? Can you imagine going to a place? Actually, can you imagine just loading your car and not knowing where you're going to go? The thought of that is crazy. If your friends asked you, oh, where are you moving to? You saying, well, I, I don't know. Well, what do you mean you don't know? That's exactly the situation that Abraham is in. Imagine him trying to explain that uh, to his wife and his people that were going to travel him. What, uh, what on earth are they going to be thinking of him? To pick up his whole household. And God says, I'll, I'll let you know when you get there. I would consider that a testing of Abraham. And of course, if you know anything about Abraham, that he had to wait and wait and wait for his first child. I can't even imagine the emotional difficulty that he would have had to endure. And he would have had to certainly help his wife Sarah carry her burden as well. And it just would have been a lifelong heartache of waiting to have a child. Again, I would consider that testing of Abraham. And of course, then there's another moment where uh, uh, Abraham reasons with God to save the life of his nephew Lot in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Yet another moment of testing. His life wasn't easy. And he even made some good choices, but he also made some choices that were a bit questionable with people named Hagar and Abimelech. There were consequences to his choices that sometimes weren't so great. But now, as an older man, God decides to test him. And you know, if it was you or me, I think we'd rather have, a, or actually maybe feel like we deserve a pat on the back. That <laughs> We've done pretty well with our testing so far. We would be thinking, I've done this or I've done that. But Abraham... In Genesis chapter 22, it reads that after so many of these things, God decides to test Abraham. I'll continue with the second half of verse 1. God said to him, Abraham, here I am, Abraham replied. God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah, Offer him up there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will indicate to you. Early in the morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took two of his young servants with him, along with his son Isaac. When he had cut the wood for the burnt offering, he started out for the place God had spoken to him about. On the third day, Abraham caught sight of the place in the distance. So he said to his servants, You stay here with the donkey while the boy and I go up there. 
we will worship and then return to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and put it on his son Isaac. Then he took the fire and the knife in his hand, and the two of them walked on together. Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my, my father, what is it, my son? He replied, here is the fire and the wood, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? God will provide for himself the lamb and the burnt offering, my son, Abraham replied. The two of them continued on together. When they came to the place that God had told him about, Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood on it. Next, he tied up his son Isaac and placed him on the altar and prepared to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not harm the boy. The angel said, do not uh, do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God because you did not withhold your son, your only son from me. Abraham looked up and saw behind him a ram caught in the bushes by its horns. So he went over and got the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the place, the name of that place, the Lord provides. It is said to this day, in the mountain of the Lord provision will be made. I can think of two things that come from such a situation if you're Abraham and perhaps there's more. But number one, imagine the strength of character and confidence that come from being fully faithful in such an incredibly, enormously difficult situation. Being obedient. I mean, it's like passing a, a, not just a test or a quiz, but passing an incredibly difficult test at school. You know, you get, you get confidence from that. You're like, I am a good student. I know what I'm doing here. Well, in this case with Abraham, my goodness, he would have had uh, 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 an enormous amount of character and confidence building. Even Paul in the New Testament commented on the strength that he finds in difficult circumstances. We read that in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 10, where Paul writes, Therefore, I am content with weakness, with insults, with troubles, with persecutions, and difficulties for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. You know, it's all upside gain in feeling strong and confident. But secondly, I think we have the uh, opportunity in these difficult situations, as did Moses, to grow just in our gratefulness to God. Of being grateful to God in all circumstances. And so that's where I'll focus more today. You know, when I was younger, I was in the backyard and I had a baseball bat in my hand. And, and in this case, I actually had a, a softball, not a baseball. But I remember it very vividly. And I was hitting the ball and I was standing with my back to the house, so I would, I would hit the ball out into the backyard away from the house. And I had hit the ball several times, and I had done this many times. I enjoyed uh, playing with a bat and ball when I, was, uh, when I was younger. But then there was one moment where I threw the ball up in the air, and I swung the bat around, and the bat hit the ball, and it went right down the side of our house parallel with the side of the house. 
which wasn't a problem other than there was a window that was standing wide open from the house. The ball flew off the bat and I saw it going down the side of the house and I could see it heading right towards this open window and I shivered as the ball crushed through the window. The, the shards of glass flying everywhere. The crash of glass coming down into the grass down below. I felt horrible. But even more so, I was scared that my dad was going to be extremely angry with me. And so I walked over to where the, where the accident had happened. Which was, by the way, a total accident. And I think I had gone maybe three, maybe four steps before tears started to roll down my cheeks. And I saw the glass laying uh, there in the, in the grass. I picked up a few of the larger pieces and threw them away. And by this time, my mother had been inside the house and, and she heard the glass break. It came, had come out to see if I was okay. And she saw, uh, saw me in tears. And saw me, uh, uh, you know, crying and uh, and fearful of what my my dad would um, uh, say when he got home. Well, I picked up the glass, threw it away, and then I put my ball down and the bat down and, and went inside, and I just laid on the couch. And then it was maybe an hour or so that went by uh, when my dad finally came home. I was laying on the couch and I could hear my mom explaining what happened to my dad. And I thought, oh boy, I'm going to get it and I'm going to be in big, big trouble. My dad walked into the living room where I there laid on the couch in tears and I looked up to him and my dad wasn't angry. He came over. And he told me that my mom had told him what happened. And so he took me outside to the window where the window was still broken and glass, a little bit of glass was in the grass. In fact, he showed me how a little bit better to look for the sun reflecting off of the pieces of glass that were still in the yard. And he showed me how to, to do that and how to look for the extra pieces. He made sure that I was careful as I picked up the broken pieces of glass. And my dad didn't give me the business, so to speak. He didn't get angry with me. He simply used that situation to teach me. To teach me what love is and to teach me what gratefulness is. I was so grateful for my dad in that very difficult moment for me as a young boy where I was in big trouble because I had broken a window. My dad had taught me about being grateful. Gratefulness, it comes the hard way. It comes the hard way, young or old. My second thought today is that helped Abraham, I think, was seeing God in a big way. You know, many times we might hear lessons on how God provides. But I think that's missing the whole view here. 
You know, Abraham's story shows us a, a lesson deeper uh, than I need something and then God giving it to me. Uh, while on the surface, that certainly is what happened. It, it, it's deeper. I, I think our minds are, 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 are a bit small when we look at it that way. God is bigger, a lot bigger, than we often think him to be. But I think Abram had, had a really good grasp of this, despite the complex life uh, that God had called him to. He was able to sink all of his faith and his hope in the truths of God. I mean, after all, uh, consider all that Abraham would have been willing to sacrifice in this story. All the things that he would have been willing to give up. He would have been willing to give up an animal or two or three or all of them. He would have been willing to sacrifice. And if it had to be people that God uh, was, was calling Abraham to sacrifice, would he have not looked for a servant or someone less important to him than his only son? So many things. He would have been willing without batting an eyelash to sacrifice, to be obedient to God. But God didn't ask for any of those things. God asked for his one son. Of all of Abraham's trials to date, picking up to move to some place where he didn't know where he was going to go, waiting on the birth of his son, going to God, asking for the life of his nephew Lot, and so many more. Of all of these trials, this was the worst one for sure. I mean, through it, he, he, all of it, he reasoned that God would provide. But I think he also re, uh, reasoned something else. And that's where Yahweh Yira comes in. It was in verse 14, where it read that Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord provides. The Yahweh Yira, the Lord provides. The the word Yira, uh, otherwise known as Jira, is derived from a Hebrew word, uh, which means to see or to foresee. This is where uh, we can perhaps incorporate a more faithful view of God, because it can be confusing to go to being able to see or to seeing something, to foreseeing something, to will provide. Well, to start, I think we should consider the names, some of the names of God that we've already discussed in some of the recent podcasts, specifically uh, Elohim. Elohim, meaning God the Creator, and just judgment in a big, big sense, in a big, big view of who God is. Yahweh, the Lord, who had the relationship with the Israelites. El Shaddai, the Nourisher, and other names that we looked at. These names of God give us a big, big view, a bigger view uh, of who God is. And in Yahweh Gira, we see Abraham is saying that in God's eternalness, in God's eternalness, no end, no beginning, in his eternalness, God sees all things and he foresees all things. He foresees all of our needs, 
and in foreseeing, he goes before us and provides for them before we are even aware of that need that we're going to have. I mean, little do we know the effort that God puts into the needs that we have now or will have down the road. I mean, days before uh, telling uh, 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 Abraham to sacrifice his only son, there was a lonely ram roaming about the countryside. And just about the time that Abraham arrives to the spot that God had sent him to sacrifice his son Isaac, this ram, this lonely ram, gets his head stuck. I mean, I think about Abraham's faith was such that he told his son Isaac that God would provide. I think he genuinely meant that God had foreseen the whole thing and therefore Abraham could trust him. Not that Abraham knew what was going to happen, but that he could fully lean in to God regardless of what was to come. He had an enormous trust. That's for sure. An enormous gratitude in view of God's sovereignty in the most difficult of situations. He knew that God foresees all things and that God provides accordingly. But let's take a minute to uh, bring this a little bit closer to home to, to you and I. You know, for us, well before we were born, be it if you were born more recently or long ago, God saw that we have a need and that only he could help. We would not be able to help ourselves. Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, it says, But God demonstrates his own love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God foresees and provides accordingly. He foresaw that you would be born, that I would be born, that people around us would be born. And a long, long time ago, he provided a sacrifice for us. Maybe to help tie this together a little bit further, the 19th century Pastor H.W. Webb Peplow wrote uh, in his book, The Titles of Jehovah. He writes, With God, to see is also to foresee. As the one who possesses eternal wisdom and knowledge, he knows the end from the beginning. From eternity to eternity, he foresees everything. Thus, with God, foreseeing is prevision. As a Jehovah of righteousness and holiness and of love and redemption, having prevision of man's sin and fall and need, he makes provision for that need. For provision, after all, is merely a compound of two Latin words meaning to see beforehand. And we may learn from a dictionary that provide is simply the verb and prevision the noun of seeing beforehand. Thus, to God, prevision is necessarily followed by provision. For he certainly will provide for that need, which his foreseeing shows him to exist. With him, prevision and provision are one and the same thing. 
Yahweh Yira, the God who provides because he sees all things in all time. Abraham saw God in this big way. And I think that's the call for us, is to see God in a big way of how he sees our needs way before we ever see our needs, and he works to provide for those needs way before we even know that we need them. My second thought to help us in our gratefulness today is to acknowledge our pig penness and work on the dirt. Now you might be thinking, what on earth is pig penness? Well, it, it is a made-up word, I'll give you that. But pig pen was a comic strip uh, character in Charles Schultz's Peanuts uh, comic. And uh, pig pen was a unique character in the comic strip. You see, Pigpen, wherever he would go, whatever he was doing, whether he was at school, whether he was in the playground, whether he was walking down the sidewalk, he always had a cloud of dirt that kind of ruffled up around him. And he was just known as a dirty character because he always had this mound of dirt kind of ruffling up around him. Well, and similarly, I think we all have dirt that travels with us. Not dirt that we pick up from mud, uh, a muddy day, but dirt are our past lives, memories that hurt uh, to think about, uh, past experiences that cause us to, to hesitate on current ones, mental, physical, or social aches and pains that are easy to mask over. Uh, we sometimes take on the fake it till you make it a mantra to get through. And these things, they do travel with us. You know, and sometimes we might go on vacation, we might feel good for a moment, but they are there when we return. And it's a, a total farce to think that if we move from one place to another place, uh, they'll all be better because these things aren't geographic, they actually just stay with us. Going someplace else doesn't even begin to solve the problem because they stay with us. Why? Because this dirt stays with us in our hearts and our minds unless we work on them. That was Pigpen's problem. He never worked on his dirt. So for us, acknowledging that we have our pigpenness, but working on the dirt. You see, if we don't acknowledge or, or work on this dirt that follows us, after some time, you know, that dirt has an effect. There are consequences of it, and it affects other people around us, and it's usually not a good effect on people around us. And this dirt consequently squishes our gratitude. It squishes our gratitude towards others, and it squishes, more importantly, our gratitude towards God. Because the dirt just kind of mounds up so much around us. These bad memories, these hurts and pains, and if we can't come to peace, if we can't uh, work uh, through those, if we can't navigate through the difficulties they bring, it's hard for us to see gratefulness on the other side. It's hard for us to experience gratefulness and have that uh, as a part of our soul. Recently, my wife and I were on vacation and we talked about our Enneagrams. If you're not familiar, it's a, uh, a character study and there's numbers associated with different types of people. Uh, I am a nine, my wife is an eight. But we talked about our characters. We talk about uh, the descriptors of them. 
both the strengths of our characters and the weaknesses. And we discuss how, you know, we won't grow unless we work on our characters, including the parts that hurt. And so we regularly talk with each other, and it's one of our goals continuing uh, as we grow older, is to have conversations about our dirt, to, to keep processing things uh, that are in the past. And it's not all, all bad things. We've had plenty, uh, many, many uh, good, uh, fun things. But processing some of the harder difficulties in our lives helps us to move forward, and it helps us to grow in our gratitude. I think Abraham lived a life of gratitude. I think that helped to drive his faith. And this, uh, despite uh, uh, how difficult it was for Abraham to pick up and move when we first meet him. It was hugely difficult. I think the, the Bible understates that moment of how difficult it was. But it would help him prepare for future difficulties, future challenges. But he saw a bigger view of God and saw how God had carried him through this a moment uh, of moving from one land to another. And it would help him in his view of God and part of being grateful towards God and help him through future difficulties as well. You know, the good news is that we don't have to harbor the dirt that's around us. We don't have to harbor things that keep us from being grateful to God. But having a deeper understanding that God foresees and that he provides will help. Having a deeper understanding of God, having a big view of prevision and provision towards those ends will really help us as it did for Abraham. So I want to encourage you to open your eyes to a bigger view of God, the all-eternal, no end and no beginning God, the all-seeing God who provides for your every needs. And we can take the words of Paul when he writes in Romans chapter 8. We can take these words to heart more than ever where he writes, In all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Pray to see God in a bigger way. That will help you. Dwell on God being bigger than you could ever imagine. Don't let our, our study of Yahweh, Yirah, or the other names of God go to waste. And think very deliberately about it of how can you see God bigger to help you live a more gracious life and in turn have a happier soul. I hope that was helpful and if you liked it and would like to hear more please don't forget to like and subscribe to this podcast and if you're in the Charlottesville Virginia area and would like to stop in and visit us at a Sunday service please send us a note or visit our website at blueridgedisciples.org for more information.